No mai whakarongo mai and welcome to The Policy Fix, a podcast by the Policy Observatory AUT. Ko Kerry Mills aho, and today I'm speaking with Professor Tracy McIntosh, Nongai Tuhoi, and co-head of school at Te Wānanga o Waipapa, the University of Auckland. One of the several strands of her work focuses on issues of inequality in the criminal justice system in Aotearoa, New Zealand, and that's what we'll be talking about today. Tēnā koe, Tracy. To start with, what are the core problems as you see them with Aotearoa's current criminal justice system? We have a gr- criminal justice system that men- in many ways both embeds inequality and reproduces it. So we have a criminal justice system that has, you know, as one of its most clear characteristics is the overrepresentation of Māori within it. And if we're thinking about that, we want to disaggregate that a little bit and thinking about just who sits within our criminal justice system, what are the characteristics that they're most likely to present, that we really see that then we start to look at a, a real sort of stream so that those characteristics are in terms of being largely young, but certainly not exclusively young, largely young and poor. Mm. Those are characteristics. What we have seen is that really significant shift if we look 30 years ago, that disproportionality was already well in, in place. But where we've seen the greatest change is the really significant increase in wahine Māori within the criminal justice system and particularly within the prison system. Mm. And what are the causes of that? Those causes are they're they're obviously complex. We you know we uh, if things were simple, then we would be able to have simple uh, solutions and responses to it. But we certainly can see the incredible impact um, historically that when we talk about colonisation or indeed around neo-colonising institutions, we recognise what the ramifications of those are. The alienation of uh, from one's land, from one's resources, um, but also what Moana Jackson talks about, which is really important in, t- in thinking about the criminal justice system, is that when we, lo- you know, in, in terms of what contact did to us and particularly the dispossession of our own um, law, L-O-R-E, was the, we lost the ability to correct ourselves, to regulate our societies. All societies regulate uh, and they may regulate in a variety of different ways and so there's no universal forms of regulation but what there is, what is universally, universally seen is that, that all societies regulate that they have some form of sanction um, and that they have some forms of rewards within their society. So the loss of the ability to correct, um, to, to address harm, um, one of the very first things that we lost. And that has incredible implications. But as I said, the loss of land, for example, there's often sort of discussion as, around the land as if it's the loss of the spiritual base. Certainly. You know, uh, humanity has very profound relationships with its environment, with the land, and that I think again is a universal. That particular type of relationship that we have with our our, our natural environments, and we could say that particularly within with um, indigenous peoples, that that relationship has a very strong spiritual um, element within it. But the fact is that when you are alienated from your land and other resources, you are alienated from your economic base. And that loss of the economic base has huge ramifications that we see up till today. I heard um, Leonie Pihammer speak recently. She used the Canterbury earthquake as an example of Aotearoa New Zealand recognising a massive 
trauma to a large group of people that has ongoing effects that is causing increased domestic violence, causing these disturbed children and learning difficulties at school, etc, etc. And we recognise this, we have compassion for this, we, we pour money into trying to fix this problem. We understand that there are aftershocks and this causes ongoing trauma. And she said, this, these are all exactly the same sorts mm. of trauma as colonisation and the ongoing kind mm. of problems in New Zealand that kind of re-trigger mm. these events. Yeah, it's an excellent example um, that Leone's using there. And it also shows the way, and, and this is definitely a very strong form of inequality in terms of symbolic forms of inequality where certain history, certain narrative, certain evidence is rendered invisible um, and is seen as having no value or having suspect value. And so whilst um, the normal or indeed normative reaction to a tragedy like um, the Christchurch earthquake means that not only do you have governmental response, do you have um, policy responses, do you have really human responses in, in that. And so it becomes a recognised and indeed valued space of, of responsivity. Other spaces where the trauma um, is sustained and ongoing uh, are rendered illegitimate. Mm -hmm. And they're not open to the same form of policy response, political response, um, and even question compassionate responses. You finished your chapter in Inequality in New Zealand Crisis with this quote from the Waitangi Tribunal's Ko Aotearoa Tēnei report. Unless it is accepted that New Zealand has two founding cultures, not one, unless Māori culture and identity are valued in everything the government says and does, and unless they are welcomed into the very centre of the way we do things in this country, nothing will change. Māori will continue to be perceived and know they are perceived as an alien and resented minority, a problem to be managed with a seemingly endless stream of taxpayer-funded programmes, but never solved. Mm. Do you think that this is the core issue at the heart of the criminal justice system? I think it's, it's one of the core issues, but certainly in terms of thinking about what that relationship means, what that means in terms of uh, tiriti, what that really looks like in terms of having a, an indigenous population, a Māori population, that have really significant aspirations as a people and as individuals. Uh, aspirations at the hapu level, aspirations at the iwi level, but again, aspirations at the whānau level, and a very broad way of being and understanding what it means to be Māori, while that remains largely illegitimate within a broader system, and that the only way that that can be understood is through some form of consultative process which limits and constrains true uh, Māori involvement, where the Crown is not ready, able, competent to truly cede power, then I think we've got a major issue. Mm. You know, this has taken generations to create, and it will take some generations to, to remedy, though I think we can mitigate some of the really terrible elements relatively quickly. Um, it's one of the things that I often talk about is that for Māori, you know that our worldview and our vision going forward is one that covers many generations. You know, indigenous, other Indigenous people talk about you know, being the best ancestor that you can be. And being, that, being a good ancestor means that I really recognise that my practices, my, uh, the relations that I have, the, the ways that I be in the world will have an impact on those that I will not be around to supervise. So those are real elements, and in terms of inequality, and particularly in New Zealand, which has seen this 
increase of inequality over a very short period of time, you know, in the 90s and then the 2000s, that every society has its rewards and burdens, but that those are so unevenly distributed within our society. That has a huge impact on our criminal justice system. Access to health, access to education, access to, to housing, all of those elements uh, really play into our system. If we addressed any of those in a really substantive way, it would have an immediate effect on our criminal justice system. Mm. The education is a, is a really interesting point, and it's in the last 10 years, that's an absolutely enduring characteristic of the young women that I work with who have found themselves in prison at a very young age, is that they were excluded from the compulsory education system at such a young age, virtually no exceptions to that. So that just tells us that's one characteristic. If I wanted to focus on health, the thing about inequality is that it has incredible effects on our health, and in fact, it can be lethal. So Māori die at a much, they die younger than non-Māori, but our pepe, our babies die younger. If we look at our infant mortality rates, they're disgraceful in terms of that. So here we live in a, in a country of affluence, country of abundance, where the health outcomes of a child born today, um, if non Māori, are excellent. And this is a thing, it's a wonderful thing. Mm -hmm. But those same health outcomes for a, for a pepe who's born today are not the same. And this again speaks to that inequality. In our education system, we have a high-quality, low-equity education system. So a young person just finishing, you know, just, uh, just having finished their first year of school, for that non-Māori child, the educational outcomes for that child are likely to be very good, particularly if they're in particular decile schools. Excellent education they'll get within the compulsory education sector. If we look at other children, Māori, Pacifica, new migrants, refugee children, that due to this absolutely burgeoning inequality, they cannot have the same confidence that they will have the educational outcomes of others, and yet they have the same aspirations. And that's clearly defined in all the research that's done. You know, one of the really useful sort of definitions, particularly looking at structural violence and really broad range in social inequality, um, is Galting's definition of the systemic frustration of aspirations. Mm. So this really speaks to both symbolic and social forms of inequality and is largely seen as a definition of structural violence. So the violence that sits within the system. What is it like to have aspirations around what education will produce or provide for you and to find that at every turn that you can't meet that? Many of our students, most of our students coming into this university come from over-resourced schools. But because they've been in those schools, they don't think they're over-resourced, they think they're resourced. And it would only be if they went into other schools and see the level of under-resourcing that occurs would they recognise that their normalised way of thinking about the education system is indeed very different. How do we accept that in a society? How does that even make sense? Uh, and so, you know, even though it may seem that I'm far off talking about the criminal justice system, if we address many of those issues, it would have an immediate effect mm. on, our, on our justice system. Yeah, these are massive issues that you're talking mm. about. When you start talking about how to fix these issues. What do you think are the kind of key priorities? The key priorities are definitely um, at the very youngest age groups. Um, and whilst that's a very child-centered approach, I see that absolutely recognizing that the child 
grows within a whānau setting and in a broader type of setting. So if we look at that 0 to 5, 5 to 10, uh, 10 to 15, these are really key areas. But it's not enough, I think, just to load funding into these areas. What do the programs look like and who's running them? And this is why this devolving of power and having confidence within certain community settings to engage with these issues is important. Does it mean huge capacity and capability growth? Yes, it does. Do we actually have that presently? No, we don't. Mm. One of the reasons why these things don't work. Are we training the right people? Possibly not. So there's a whole range of issues there. You know, we are talking about, in many cases, systemic failure and what I've said elsewhere in terms of fully funded failure. So this is what I always say about the criminal justice system. If we were to put a billion dollars into it tomorrow, would anyone think that would get better outcomes than we're getting now? Very few people would think that. If we put a billion dollars into health, would we think that we'd get better outcomes? We do think we'd get better outcomes. If we put a billion dollars into education, we would expect to get better outcomes. No one really expects a lot of better outcomes for putting a whole lot more money into criminal justice. This at least perhaps tells us instinctually we should be putting a lot of our money elsewhere. I wanted to come back to a point you mentioned before about um, Māori systems of justice and correction that were one of the first things taken away during colonisation. Do you think there would be any benefit in having a Māori justice system that sat alongside or worked with the current one or completely replaced it? I mean, I do think that definitely it's, it's something that needs really serious consideration. I, I think the need to transform a system so that it works for everyone, for those that are harmed and for those that harm, and recognising that those are often not too discreet groups of people, that very often those that are harmed and those that also harm come from the same group. Actually, the research is very clear on that. There are definitely issues around having you know, a Māori justice system in a knot because what remains in that system, what remains out of that system becomes difficult. Is it around notions about the person who's caused harm that means you would go through a justice system or is it about the person who's been harmed? You know, So there's a whole range of things to think about there. What I think that we can do in looking at what would a partnership model really look like? What would a partnership model look like that could educate the world in terms of thinking about a justice system that actually produces just outcomes? What would it look like? So, you know, this for me, for that is a, a real work of imagination. Um, it's a real work of intellectual labour, it's cultural labour, it's social labour, it's all of those elements. But I absolutely believe that we, that it's within our ability to do those sorts of things. As I said, we've got a system at the moment that very few people, even if they were very conservative, right to those that might have extremely progressive views, there'd be very few who think this is a great system. This system is producing exactly the type of outcomes that we want. And what are those outcomes? We want an outcomes where people are able to flourish. We want outcomes where people feel safe within their communities, that they feel that they're able to participate and are fully engaged. That's what we want. And I think even right across the spectrum, we would say that most people, that's what they would want. So what type of system would you need to be able to produce that? What type of system would be one that would be able to whakamana those that are inside it, that Māori would recognise the system as just, a system that they, could, that they would respond to, but that others would also recognise it as just. And I think, you know, we're four and a half million people you know, we're often seen as the pilot study for the rest of the world. This, this would be a great pilot study. So to go back to what you were saying about how you think the priority ought to be with young children and that we should be talking about 
turning mana over to Māori to raise their children mm. in the right way. Mm. So are you talking about a kind of better funded, better resourced whānau order programme? I mean, I think whānau order has um, the foundations for a really important programme. I guess the thing that I am thinking of, about is, some, is really taking that transformation really seriously and really thinking about our whole models of doing things. I mean, I actually think that most of the funding models are very colonising, they're transactional, they're not relational, that they often uh, want very short-term responses and in that way don't look at the long-term, that very often uh, groups, and many of them doing excellent work, are funded to work with a whānau member for six weeks, for 12 weeks. You know, these are life course types of engagements that need to take place. And so that's a real change in the way that we think about the, our types of models, who holds them, what compliance looks like, who determines what the outcomes are. These are need for really sort of profound um, and important discussions. This is why there's a lot of work to be done, because even when we talk about funding, Funding is an expression of power. You know, what if we come back to inequality and the need for that redistribution of resources and something like the criminal justice system or something like the health system, you know, you need expertise, you need putier, the resources to follow that expertise, and you need to think about what expertise looks like under these types of settings. But all of those, and my work has clearly shown that so many of these service delivery contracts, even when they've got really good people involved, are so colonising, so transactional, that their ability to do what everyone wants them to do, including the people who are delivering them, is compromised from the beginning. I think that one of the problems is that being, even within a whānau order model, as seen by the Crown, is a very narrow view of what constitutes whānau. So the argument is, is that you can't have that model because you're putting in some cases, the notion of a damaged child back into a damaged whānau. I accept that we have a whole lot of harm and hurt within our communities, but I also recognise that within those same communities, there are those that have the knowledge, that have the skills, and that they, and are able to work in those sorts of places. So I think, you know, that there is huge value for all of us as communities, as a nation, of really understanding whakapapa in its broadest sense and the types of policy implications that it could have for us. Mm. Making me think of that Waitangi Tribunal quote again about yeah. a more Māori Aotearoa yeah. will be a better Aotearoa for, yeah, for everyone. everyone. And, you know, and I really, I'm confident in that. And I see it, you know, there was a conference just recently and I met a number of people, and all of them new migrants, uh, some from refugee backgrounds, and they were students of the Wananga o Aotearoa. And they said that it was under this Māori umbrella, under tikanga Māori, that they found a place to be safe. And there was just something about that, that they were able, you know, they came with, certainly, with a whole lot of, for some of them, significant trauma and a whole lot of baggage, but not our own colonial baggage. And so they were able, they've been able to flourish under that model. And I think that, you know, that, that is something, that it is the gift. And, you know, Charles Rawls talks about indigeneity as being the gift of the world. Mm. And I think there is really something in that, that you don't lose something, which I think is the fear, particularly within an inequality frame, is that this redistribution of resources is very much fed by those who have power, who feel that they will lose too much, but they don't recognise the huge gains that they've been made, uh, huge gains that they made personally, huge gains that are made nationally. That's a beautiful place to finish. Now,